Okay, so we have a set of problems to look at. We've got a boom and bust cycle in the financial sector leading to one of several financial crises that we've seen over the years, but perhaps one of the worst ones we've seen in many decades. A set of responses among governments and central banks in trying to stave off a complete collapse and deep worldwide recession. And an ongoing relationship, a kind of shifting context for this of relations between regulatory authorities and the private sector financial institutions. What I'd like us to do now then is to take these different aspects of this issue and explore how and in what ways they might be analysed using some of the tools developed in the course so far. In particular to ask in what different ways the crisis might be seen as a collective action problem. Headley, if we look at the causes of crisis, can we say this arises from collective action problem? Yes, in some ways. I mean, as Chapter 13 in Making the International explains, some choices can't be made by an individual or by an individual government. And indeed, some choices perhaps shouldn't be made by an individual or an individual government. And really, in the lead up to this crisis, choices were being made by banks, by financial institutions, which appeared to be in their best interests at the time, but the cumulative and collective effect of which was certainly not in, a, in the end, in anyone's interests. So this, in that sense, is very much a, a, a collective action problem. It's, it's a problem where collective action is needed, and it can be very difficult to, to see how to, to put that into practice. Once the crisis has arisen, there is, of course, a collective action problem of, of trying to put things right. For example, take bank lending, which has almost come to a halt. Banks are not going to be willing to lend unless they think the other banks in the system are going to be willing to lend as well. They don't want the, the sucker's payoff of lending and finding the loans that they make uh, being distributed among uh, other institutions, which are not themselves lending. The banks very much depend on receiving money from loans made by other banks. And uh, you know the whole banking system is extremely interdependent. So an individual bank is going to be unwilling to be the first to lend because that may lead it to a, a sucker's payoff. But you'd also argue that there's a collective action problem among governments. Certainly. And uh, there's some recognition of that, in fact, by, by governments themselves. Uh, if we consider the, the fairly recent uh, G20 summit in April 2009, looking at the communique that was issued at the end of that, there was a good deal of, uh, of recognition and certainly a good deal of hand-waving towards the idea that um, there were collective action problems that needed very much cooperative solutions. The second clause in the communique, a global crisis requires a global solution. And later on, we will conduct all our economic policies cooperatively and responsibly with regard to the impact on other countries and will refrain from competitive devaluation of our currencies. So there's very much a sense that um, countries are at least paying lip service to the idea that collective action is going to be needed to solve financial and, and economic problems. Simon, a prisoner's dilemma among states facing us. Yes, I think so to some extent. And I think it's also interesting to ask what forms of cooperation are we talking about here? Because I think we probably need to distinguish, as it were, forms of cooperation that respond to the crisis by doing no more damage, which is fairly limited, really. It's, it's states recognizing that there is an underlying degree of cooperation around, for example, currency stability, around openness to international trade and investment around some minimal sense of not competing against one another to deregulate 
further financial markets. And I think there is a recognition, we'll see how well honoured it is in practice, that states are in a collective action problem that they could make things considerably worse unless they act carefully. And in one sense, you could model that as, as a prisoner's dilemma. There's another sense, though, in which you can ask whether states are acting cooperatively in a stronger sense to reconstruct financial regulation or to rebalance demand globally, for example, through coordinated policies of demand stimulus. And there, I think it's much less obvious that we're seeing any significant cooperation. So I think the position there is states, again, are in a collective action problem, but they're actually finding it very difficult to come out with collective global solutions so that, in a sense, collective action problems are really of two kinds. There's, there's kind of not making things worse, and I think we have seen quite a lot of effort to not make things worse. There's then, can we actually then act coherently, collectively to kind of get out of it, to construct something new? And there I think the picture is much less certain that much has happened. And do you think it'd be reasonable to characterise that looking forward, that kind of medium to longer term discussions around future regulation, to characterise that as a prisoner's dilemma? Can you can you put it in those sort of terms? I think you probably can. I think we need to be careful about that in that to characterise it as a prisoner's dilemma, we would need a fairly clear sense of the particular interdependencies in the strategies open to to the major players that we're talking about. In this, this case, let's say the states of the G20, we'd need some sense of the way in which they rank their payoffs. And so to characterise it strictly as a prisoner's dilemma, we would need to kind of have the answers to those and know whether really kind of what's best for some is worse for others. And I'm not entirely sure that we do know enough about that. But I certainly think there are elements of it that have prisoner's dilemma character, yes. Like the fear of getting the, the suckers payoff, to use the yes, term Headley used earlier. Or the fear of, of being the state that regulates its financial institutions and others don't, and so the financial institutions leave and go somewhere else through, where they... Through a loss of competitiveness. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, Graeme, does that sound like a, an accurate representation? Well, very much so, I think. There's been a minimal amount of Limited cooperation, I think, as Simon sort of outlined, but I think it's limited. I mean, to be honest, most of the responses to the crisis have been just that responses, not by a collective kind of sense of of, of developing policies, but, um, you know, at the national level, each of the the particular countries that were badly affected responded through trying to reorganize their own financial systems and it was very much at the level I think of particular countries trying out particular policies that suited the particular circumstances of their own financial system certainly in the first instance I mean the US went for this massive fiscal stimulus as um, Simon has has alluded to um, and tried to bail out of its banks but it didn't but other countries I don't think have gone for such a significant fiscal stimulus and that went down very well in the US amongst <laughs> but the parties particularly the, the manufacturers, because they saw this kind of maintaining aggregate demand and, and bolstering their own position. But in the UK, for instance, we, we have not gone for a fiscal stimulus. I don't think there have been certain fiscal measures um, giving sort of advantages on VAT and so on. But um, broadly speaking, it's been to try and bat out the banks. 
And other countries have gone down different routes. I mean, some countries in Europe have had very conservative lending policies by their banks and have regulated this. Spain is a case in point where a lot of the assets, the toxic assets that Headley was speaking about, were not allowed to be formally entered into the system. So they didn't have this kind of hangover of the problems that Headley was kind of mentioning about. So their, their response, they haven't had a problem about bailing out their banks because they didn't have all these the toxic assets in their system. So I think there's been a minimal amount of cooperation, but broadly speaking, the bulk of the response has been by particular countries to their particular sets of problems. And you'd situate that kind of limited cooperation as well as individual national efforts within that broader pattern of, of a cycle between regulation and financial crisis that you alluded to earlier? Yeah, I think we could you know, just kind of go over that a little bit and just just sort of try and draw out some implications of it because I think it's very characteristic this this cyclical moves that have been going on. I mean let's start with financial innovation because that was the the, the problem that, that has been raised by um, Headley and, uh, and Simon. Well when financial innovation happens, and the private sector is incredibly innovative in the financial system, so it's always looking for new opportunities to make money. That's basically it. And there are warnings then raised about those because they look as though they could kind of disrupt the regulatory kind of framework. Well, those warnings and risks, I think, are never really properly heeded at the time because these innovations are getting going and people are enthusiastic about them. And people are making money. so they Making money so there's a the massive dangers. incentive just to keep, keep going along, these, along the same lines. The problems uh, with the innovations come a little bit later when a kind of crisis hits the system, I think, largely because of the enthusiasms in, in trying to uh, deploy these new innovative financial instruments. And so this leads to, uh, when the crisis hits, a, a sort of firefighting response Let's try and put the fire out, try to gain control of the crisis, prevent it spreading and so on. And then we go into a prudential phase of more prudential responses by the authorities beginning to put in place a discussion about the measures needed to prevent another crisis of this type. That's where we get into the obvious collective action problems that Simon was just kind of mentioning before then to get a political agreement about the responses to this. Usually we come up with some consensus. Some consensus is reached. However, often it's a very limited consent, a minimal set of regulatory responses because getting agreement is difficult. And meanwhile, of course, the, the system has moved on. And it looks like when the policy responses are implemented, it looks like they're addressing yesterday's issues. The horse has bolted from the door again with a new set of financial innovations. So we get another round of this sort of cycle developing, I think. And I think that's been a kind of enduring pattern, really, in these matters. And so I think the, the, the issue, that if this is the case... You know, what does, one, what, does, what does one say about the way in which the financial system kind of works under those? What is the problem of regulation? Should we actually sort of go for another top-down set of regulatory moves by either the, the IMF, the Bank of International Settlements, or the G10? Or should we think of something, some other way of addressing the issue of uh, a regulatory response? Okay, we'll come back to that again in a bit, but if I understand you rightly, what you're saying is not only do we have the problems of collective action about regulation that Simon explained. But that sits within a, such a shifting context that even if the minimal kind of cooperation that you've talked about has been achieved, that may be speaking to yesterday's problems. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.